All right, so we are going to discuss today God's calling. Please stand with me if you're able to. We're going to start reading in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, Father, we ask that you please would open up our understanding of your holy word. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal your calling for each and every one of us. God, I know if you could do that with me. I'm just a dirt level disciple. Just a sinner saved by grace. And now you live within me. And you call me. You call us that are born again saints. We're holy now because of you. You put your Holy Spirit within us. And I do ask, Father, can you please speak to each and every one of us? Can you please reveal your calling, your plan your purpose for each and every one of our lives. Father, we ask that you would please help us to know your calling, to discover the spiritual gifts, discover these good works that you've called us to. Lord, if we look at the timeline of our lives, I know in my own life, and I know it's the same for even all those that are here and those that are listening to this. God, you've got a timeline laid out. You know everything about our life. Not just what we've done, not just what we're doing today, but you've got our life all laid out, all mapped out. Help us to see that you've been at work in our lives. Lord, humble us. Help us to hear from you and to give in to your purpose, your will. Help us to repent from the things of the past and to embrace your calling for our lives, for we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys could have a seat if you would. So I'm going to open up by telling you about one of the days that the Lord started speaking to me. Uh, I think most of you guys here probably have not known about this. And uh, part of me is feeling a little convicted that I should let you guys know. I remember the day, this was at a time I was maybe 19 years old. I'm 55 now, so you can do the math. It was a while ago. I was maybe 19 or so, 19-ish, and I used to be a DJ. Completely opposite of church life, <laughs> what the Lord showed me. Uh, we used to have a thing we call a DJ booth. We'd make a coffin we call it a coffin actually it was this big thing this console that would hold a mixer in the middle and two what two turntables wheels of steel these things are techniques 1200 turntables they were heavy big beasts big monsters we make these things we call them a coffin with a base as well as a cover heavy wood it'd be this thing be heavy i mean you need two people to carry it but we'd set it up and we would do parties in a pick like a ballroom in a hotel. I'm talking a long time ago. I was in California growing up as a kid. 
And I got to do DJing and parties, uh, got to be good, if I can say so, at that time. And that, back at that time, a lot of kids, they loved that. And they loved DJs, and they would follow people if you were good. And especially, I was one of those guys that would scratch, whoop, 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 and do all that. And I remember this one day in this hotel ballroom, I think it may have been the Anaheim Hilton. We would get out, uh, or get, rent out like the largest ballroom we could find, uh, print out flyers, get people, get kids to come in, charge money at the door, and there's a sizable amount of crowd there. Uh, we would create the light setting. And again, it's like kind of totally opposite of how things are in the world or even club life. So we would set up uh, lighting. We'd bring our speakers in, this huge display, boom, boom. be DJing. And I remember this one day where... On the dance floor, people were out there. They're just dancing to the music, you know, swaying and all under the lights, the colored light display that we had. I, I distinctly remember about to drop in a record on the left side. Now, what you do is you'd match the beats. At least if, if you did DJing like that, you'd match everything up. You'd sync it in, and you'd scratch or boom, just cut it and drop it in. And I remember getting ready to uh, to cue the next song up on the left side, looking out in the crowd. And as I was looking out in the crowd, steeped in my pride, like a lot of us were, especially if you were good, you're like, yeah, whatever I do. There's a guy named, I think, Eric B. Rakim, move the crowd. He had a song. Like, you could move the crowd by whatever you do or say. And you get this sense of, like, power and control as a kid. It's like, so not of God. So all this pride would well up. And that's the place where I was at. And as I was getting ready to play the next song on the, ro- on the left side, it was as if the Lord was really radically convicting my heart. As if he was saying at that time, what are you doing? You're leading them the wrong way. And if you remember those old records, it was like as if you take the needle and go, like you scratch it. It's like, whoa. I didn't do that at the time. But the, you know, the music's playing. Everybody's getting all happy and dancing. Some people drinking off the sides. I remember just this deathly fear of God. And I turned to some friends. They were sitting on my right side. Uh, these three friends I had. They were Buddhist, by the way. <laughs> and I told them something like this. I can't remember much of exactly what I said, but it was something like this. I think God just spoke to me, and he told me that I need to be a, you know, I, I said something like minister or whatever, for Jesus. I knew exactly what he was telling me. Like, you need to lead people to me, not away from me. Because I was running away and re- leading people, hundreds if not thousands of kids away from the Lord. I remember that day. And they looked at me and they were joking, they were laughing, they'd probably say something like, Oh, you're you're just drunk or high. And no, I couldn't be, because if you're DJing, you had to be, you know, sober, you had to be able to listen. And if you're doing that stuff, I mean you, you your hearing gets all messed up. And so I prided myself in being like exact with the beat and dropping it and doing cuts like clean clean cutting. And scratches as well, like being precise on beat. That's what I prided myself in. And to do that, you had to be sober. You had to be able to, to, we would say, not just hear the beat, kind of feel the beat. I don't know if that makes sense to any of you guys. That's where I was. And so, no, I wasn't drunk. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't high. I would do that maybe at some other times. But at that point in my life, I was running away from God and getting tons of people to, to run away from God as well. And as God was greatly convicting my heart, the first time I believe he was directly speaking to me, not indirectly through someone else, but directly speaking to me, 
that whole scariness of that healthy fear of God came upon my heart and soul. Now, maybe that's happened to some of you before. That's where I was at. And as he was doing that, I had to realize that he was calling me to lead people to him. I now see on the timeline of my life, now dozens of years later, I look out and it's not fake fellowship in a party environment, in a nightclub or a hotel ballroom that I promote. That's fake fellowship. That's Satan's picture, so to speak, his, his lie to pull people away from church fellowship. Amen? I now see it and I go, Lord, <laughs> I can't believe how good you are. And as we would have music, very different. Of course, we didn't do music today. Usually my bride Susan is the one singing and shouting out on the microphone. But Satan also has his fake form of worship, if you will. It's the way of the world. And I knew that as a DJ. It's easy to bring people in and to get them surrounding uh, music. That's pretty easy to do, to be a party promoter with that. But Satan has his way, his view of like an anti-church life. still works today. And I know that from what Jesus had rescued me from. And I see how good God is and his grace throughout these years. Decades now, I could say. And after I started to dedicate my life to the Lord, there's this one day, started to walk with the Lord, started to, some years later, in the 1990s, I had a, a house in... Tustin, California. Like I brought my old beat-up New American Standard Bible. This was the second time I had a friend cover it in like this plastic coat. I was holding it so much. I thought, well, your hand just mess it up. <laughs> and I love this Bible because I brought my notes and stuff and a lot of memories in this Bible. Plus, it's a good size, good feel Bible. used to be at least. It's all beat up now. But I had this Bible, and I had this house in Tustin, California. Tustin is in Orange County, California. I had a house. Condominium. People in New York are like, what's a condominium? It's like a glorified apartment that you own, basically. Beautiful place. Two stories. It has skylights like how we have here. Uh, I just remember a, a beautiful big clamshell type tub. And when I was there, this one night, the Lord woke me up. I even wrote here in the notes. It's as if as if he was harassing me. <laughs> I woke up. Sometimes when God wakes you up early in the morning, sometimes he'll do this with you. It could be pray for someone. For me, at that day, it was Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Clear as day, just Isaiah 40. Get up and read Isaiah 40. I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to sleep. <laughs> Especially me, because I was used to that like, party life and all. It's like, he's wanting me to change my lifestyle. Get up and read Isaiah 40. So <laughs> I got up, I kind of threw my legs over the bed, kneeling down beside the bed, turned on the light, grabbed my Bible. And I wrote this in there. It's Isaiah chapter 40. I wrote this in. This is December 22nd, 1997. So that's a little over 26 years ago. December 22nd, 1997 a.m. The Lord led me to Isaiah chapter 40. I do not yet understand what this word entails for me. He woke me up to read this. 
It's a big chapter. There's 31 verses. I didn't know at that time what Isaiah chapter 40 was or what it represented or what it meant. I didn't know uh, a voice of one crying in the wilderness would be someone in the New Testament. Who is that? John the Baptist. I didn't know that at that time. I didn't know that he would quote that. In Isaiah chapter 40 in his book, 39 chapters would go on, and then chapter 40 was a new era. Something new was happening there. And as I didn't know what was what was going on, I just wrote this down. I remember being tired after that. I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> but let me just chronicle this in my Bible. And I'm glad I did, because now 26 years later, I have it in there. You guys can look later on if you want. I went back to sleep, and then as the timeline of my own life, as God was calling me, he was slowly revealing more and more. So if you have your Bibles, you could turn with me and read. I'm going to read out of my Bible at the time, which was a New American Standard Bible. Our official reading and uh, teaching translation is the New King James Version here in church. But Isaiah chapter 40, if you have your Bible, if you turn to the middle of the Bible, usually you're in the book of Psalms, and then take a right turn, and Psalms, shortly after that, you'll find Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 1, it says, Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. I didn't know at that time, 26 years ago, that God was going to call me to help comfort his people through the power of the comforter the Holy Spirit. In fact, if he would have told me at that time, I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. I need to have a lot of comfort first. <laughs> like, maybe you call someone else to that. But as the years went on, he would slowly show me things like getting involved in relief work. I was part of a relief agency, which is a missions group called Safe Harbor International Relief. We did disaster relief. 9-11 happened. And I was part of the, the group that came out from that missions organization to come here. You guys know this. That this is the 9-11 church. Calvary Chapel did a ton of ministry uh, at Ground Zero. In fact, we had the closest ministry site to the pit, to where 9-11 happened with the Twin Towers. Very close to the pit. This is the result of that. Calvary Chapel at the cross. Praise God for that. This is God's grace and God's work, not mine. This is his hand that did that. But I didn't know that he was going to call me to help comfort his people. See, so he had to preface that. He had to prep me. still is. And when God is calling you to something, he's going to prepare that vessel to then pour out into that work. Don't despise those days, those years of beginning. Amen? That's a Bible verse. To paraphrase that. That he's going to start with something small, and start in your heart and life because later on in the timeline of your life as he's calling you, you never know when another 9-11 is going to happen. I didn't know at that time. None of us knew that. For me, it was 1997. I didn't know he was going to call me to help comfort people or even Superstorm Sandy when that hit here. It hit New York City and our borough, the borough of Queens, more here in New York than anywhere else. I didn't know that he was going to greatly convict my heart to go out there and, and that through his hand, he was going to have someone give us a five-acre property out there. I mean, where are you going to get five acres in New York City? Think about that. That was a huge property. 
and the picture on the wall, like Kimmy took, that, that big painting kind of picture. That was for the very first service that we held out there. I was wanting at that beginning. Some of you guys were here at that time. Steffi, you might remember. I was here at that time. We just broke through the wall here. This used to be a warehouse, and we were on that side. And when that year was the same year that my daughter was born, uh, my daughter Christina, she's 11 now, about to be 12. We broke through the wall here, and then I was stressing in my heart, like, Lord, how are we going to pay rent? We got more, uh, more rent now to pay. <laughs> the rent keeps going, you know, like New York City rent. It never goes down, does it? <laughs> if it does, let me know. Because <laughs> it keeps increasing more and more. Our rent's like really high now compared to where it was at the start. I didn't know that some months after we broke through the wall, and we only did that because, by the way, we thought it was God's will. And we prayed and prayed and like, are you sure, God? Are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? Are you really, really sure you're sure you're sure? <laughs> and then we broke through the wall, uh, beautified this place. We had to redo that restroom. I didn't know just some months later, though, that Superstorm Sandy would hit. And then at one time we had 25 missionaries. Remember that time? We had 25 missionaries actually sleeping in here. That's crazy. And then later on, we'd be gifted a five-acre piece of property uh, to minister for two years, we were out there. And we some of the Saturdays we would go out there, it was like seven or so back-to-back services. Like, we'd have a service, people leave. After the presentation of the gospel, they leave and they go get supplies. The next group would come in, back-to-back. <laughs> and afterwards, like, whew. I was tired. Susan's like, yeah. <laughs> she would do worship. It would energize her. I didn't know. So God had to, in my life at least, in the timeline of what he was calling me to do, he had to preface that. Comfort, he says. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. I know my heart. If you were like how I was, I don't want to, God. You know the, the passage in the Bible where Jesus is wanting to feed the multitudes? He's wanting to feed. There's 5,000 men. There's also women and children. He turns to his disciples. He knows what he wants to do. And he's having them picture the scenario. What should we do? And one of the disciples is like, send them away. <laughs> it's getting late. Send them away. I know this area. It's my hometown nearby. Ain't nothing out here. Send them away. There's, imagine like 20,000 people. And what did Jesus tell them? You give them something to eat. That's a passage that has convicted my heart. In this church plant, definitely when we were uh, ministering in the Rockaways, that's actually what one of the passages God convicted my heart. I'm like, God, I need to take care of my own family. I can't, we can barely afford to pay the rent, all that kind of stuff. And now I've got to worry about the rent for this place. And he would convict me with that. You feed them. Like, with what? I'm like, okay, faith. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lord. I remember simple prayers like this. Lord, if you want me to take care of your family, can you please take care of my family? And I got to say, this side of my broken faith, this side of it, he has always been faithful to provide. Amen? I've seen that. You guys have seen that here. I don't know how he does it. He moved me out as a missionary here in February 2002. And we're still living by faith. I don't know how he does that. He never tells us to figure it out. He just tells us 
to have faith in him, to trust him, to remain faithful. Now, I've, I've got to tell you, if he could do that with me for over two decades as a New Yorker, I'm no longer a Californian, as a New Yorker, can he do that with you, with your marriage, with your family? Yes, he can. He's never let a single person down in all of eternity. Is he going to start with you or me? No. Because that's his character, his nature. He, even if you lack faith, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That's who he is. And then look at this in verse 3. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You can read the whole chapter later on if you wish. Verse 3 says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. I found that as God was unveiling this chapter in my own life, he was calling me to also tell people to preach and tell them they need to repent. They need to clear the way in their hearts for what? For the King, the Messiah, the Savior Jesus. Just like John the Baptist would, this is a prophecy about John the Baptist, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I didn't know that he was going to call me to also tell people to repent and to clear the way for the Lord into their hearts. And then I just want to share a couple of verses here as we continue on. Verse 8. Look at this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is where we get the name Word Stand for the music that Susan and I write and publish. It comes from this. God's word stands forever. Amen? I remember when we started writing music, we're like, the path to publish means you've got to put a name on it. Even the, the entities, the groups that will get your stuff out there on iTunes and Spotify, everywhere else, you've got to put some kind of name. Uh, I asked Susan, do you want to put your name? She's like, no, I don't want to put my name. Like, I want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ, and we're about the Word of God. So we, we look at this, we pray, and like, word stand. We want, we want to help people to get back to biblical worship, which is actually where the church now, sadly, in more recent years, is moving more and more away from, and a lot of us are ending up singing about emotion. Self-worship, not even knowing it. Worshiping self instead of Jesus. But this is where we get the name word stand. It's also the stance that God has me take and to call others to take as well, to stand on God's word. Why? The grass withers. This passage speaks about us people as grass. We, we just wither away. The flower fades. And that speaks of all the beauty, the loveliness of this world. People look at, oh, Taylor Swift this, this person that. 50 years ago, or 50 years later, are you going to care about how beautiful someone is? No, the flower fades, right? But the word of our God stands forever. You're going to stand for something in life. There's all kinds of people. They're just looking for an identity and a cause. We must have our identity in Jesus Christ, amen? And stand for what God says in his word. That's why God brought you in. And look at this in verse 11. Again, I'm just going to pick out a couple of things here, and only one more after this. Verse 11, it says, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He was telling me he wanted to feed me his word. And then he was going to call me to do what I'm doing now is so crazy to think of. He would take a, a sinner saved by grace like me, and I get the, the beauty and the blessing of teaching his word and telling people about Jesus? Me? Like, I, I don't feel qualified. I still don't. 
that as an under-shepherd under Jesus, the good shepherd, he would feed me his word and then get me to feed others. Like, I don't get that. I don't qualify. <laughs> but this is what he's wanting me to do in my own life. Why? He's a good shepherd. And he had to preempt me. He had to show me this is what he wanted me to do and to feed people God's word. And then in verses 29 to 31, at the end of the chapter, this is a passage that many people love. If you've ever been to a Christian bookstore, you'll see these pictures, these paintings. You'll see an eagle just soaring in the mountains. And oftentimes it'll be with Isaiah 40, verse 31. Look at this in verse 29. This might minister to someone here. It says, He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly. That was me. <laughs> stumble and stumble badly. Verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I was needing that. And the Lord was ministering to me. There's a period in my life, as I shared with you, where I had a house in my name in Tustin, California. And this one day, call me crazy or not, I thought God was telling me, I want you to sell this house. What? (laughs) This is a beautiful place. I had my my brother-in-law, my my sister Jill, her husband, look me in the face. He's pointing his finger at me like this close. He's like, you're stupid. Because <laughs> God had me leave a job. It was a great job I had. Making a lot of money in the computer tech field. And I was really good at it. And it was just by applying Bible principles that one uh, group would gobble me up into the next, the next until I couldn't go higher. And I was in this a group called the networking group. Made a lot of money. And the Lord was calling me. I knew for a couple of years that God was going to call my number and then call me out to, to ministry. And I knew that. I think I shared that before recently and the day came where he had me jettison out and I left the job I had a friend that left to go to Cisco uh, up north in northern California and I told him about it Uh, and the fact that they gave me all these benefits afterwards he's like what I quit they gave me nothing (laughs) and they gave me all these benefits and everything afterwards I'm like well and I was I was trying to uh, share with him about the Lord it's like God is good God is gracious provided for me i didn't know what to say it's like okay lord thank you so he's calling me out of that came out of that job and i had this house nice comfy house and i believe god was telling me to sell it even telling me how to do it like put up a sign for sale sign like for sale by owner i'm like that's weird (laughs) but so i i began painting in the house learned how to paint and as i was painting the whole interior of the house beautiful place beautiful white color is looked spectacular. Inside one of the drawers, I remember, oh, do I have that? I think I have, there it is. I was wanting to do a really good job, and I would just fellowship with God, praying to him, talking with him, had uh, Calvary Chapel radio blasting on the whole time, and I, I would take out the drawers. Some of you guys, you ever paint? Who painted at home? Any of you guys ever paint? Some, only a couple of you guys? Couple, okay, some of you guys have. No, if you're painting like the cabinets, many times you just do the face. Why? Because that's what your eyes see. I pulled the drawers out and I was painting behind it. I wanted to paint the whole thing. Like most people, <laughs> most people are like, you don't do that, right? But I was wanting to do a really good job. So I pulled out all the drawers. 
And in one of the drawers in the kitchen, I pulled out the, the cabinet uh, of the drawer and I found this card. Have it here today. Stuck inside. In the back. I would not have seen it uh, because this card was there before I bought the place and moved in. And God was using Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, to minister to me. Because as he was having me unlatch from many things, I had a beautiful house in my name. He told me to sell it. And afterwards, he said, give the money away. I'm like, what? I didn't know what he was doing. And I had a, a, a wonderful car. Almost all paid off. Same thing. Sell it. Get rid of it. I had a wonderful job. All these things you guys are probably thinking, like my, my brother-in-law, you, you're stupid. In the world, yes, stupid. In Christ, magnificent, wonderful. Why? Because it was what he was telling me to do. I'm not saying he's telling you to sell your house, unless that's what he's telling you to do. But hold loosely the things of this world, amen? And I did not know that he was discipling me, teaching me how to trust him, how to hear from him, and how especially to obey. Yes, sir. Let's go do it. I still argue and complain. Like, okay, God, help me through this because this is really tough. So he knew that I'd be painting the house, and I was like struggling. Okay, hold on, hold on. And the one verse that stuck out, wait upon me, wait upon me. Isaiah 40, verse 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. I was getting weary. I go, God, I don't have money now. You know, because you, you build up a savings, you start spending it, right? And at the time, I, I moved out of the house because he was wanting me to sell it. So I was living uh, with a, having rent now, no longer a mortgage, but a rent. And my, my savings were dwindling. I'm like, what am I going to do? I had like everything comfy and set up. I had a job where I couldn't spend the money because it was growing because I wouldn't have enough time to spend the money. And now I'm sitting there worried and wondering, how am I going to get money now? Now I have a place where I'm renting with three other Christian brothers, and they're counting on me to pay rent, but I don't have a job. Like, what am I going to do? Most people, like, who here would take a roommate (laughs) that says, I don't have a job, but I'll pay rent? Nobody, right? (laughs) And that was me at that time. And God was ministering to me in Isaiah 40, verse 31. This wasn't my doing. It was what I believe God Almighty told me to do. Just make sure that you can authenticate the voice of God only with his word. Amen? Make sure if God is telling you something, you can back it up with the Bible or else it ain't God. Amen? And for me, it was Isaiah 40, verse 31. Listen to me, trust me, wait upon me, wait upon me. And then that day came where I was painting. I pulled out the drawer. I found this card stuck in the back, in the corner. I'm like, would you know that? (laughs) Wow. And I read it, and it says, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I felt like this rush, like, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. And I wrote this down. May 1999. That's when I found it. This card found stuck to the side of the kitchen utensil drawer in the Tustin condo. This card had been here from before I had even moved in to the condo. Had I not had painted, this card would have never been found by me. And I put, Lord, you sure, sure do deliver your messages with awesome orchestration. This was already, he was after he had been ministering to me with that passage, telling me, trust him, wait upon him, seek him, trust. Now, that's hard to do when you don't want to trust, right? 
It's hard to do when he's trying to disciple you, try to build spiritual disciplines into your life. Things like sitting at his feet, waiting to hear from him. If he ain't speaking, you wait. I'm not praying on it. I'm praying until I hear. A day goes by, maybe a week, maybe a month, maybe a couple months. Are you still waiting for God to speak to you? Or are you just going about doing your own thing? So he was preparing me. I was preparing that house to be ready to sell it. And he was showing me all these things that I simply had to wait upon him. So God was preparing me for some time. I didn't know that 9-11 was going to hit and that he was going to move me out here. And I do want to say in sharing a little bit about how God was orchestrating my life, that timeline, and how God was calling me to come out here, if I would have still had that house in my name and that comfy job, it was the biggest employer in Orange County, California. I wanted that as a computer tech, a computer nerd, because I wanted the, like, to, live at the, to work at the corporate site. We had 50 locations worldwide, and I became one of the top techs there in the tech department. 5,000 employees, the biggest employer in Orange County, California. That's when I targeted as a computer geek. I had that as a comfy job. I stayed there. I stayed with that house. And I stayed with that comfy car. I'd be like, I'm rich. I don't need anything. And then after 9-11 happened, see, I didn't know that was going to happen. Nobody knew but God, right, and the people that were planning that terror act. I know myself, though, that I would have been like this. Nope, I can't come out there. I got this house. I'm anchored in California. I didn't know he was going to have me sell that place. And I didn't know that he was going to disciple me and train me to know how to hear and how to obey. In other words, how to trust in the Lord. It's one thing to sing about trusting the Lord. It's a totally different thing to actually trust the Lord. Any of you guys know that? Totally different. The walks are way, way different. Anybody can sing. Non-believers can sing about trusting in God. But everybody wants to see someone that's actually trusting this thing that you and I call God's Word, the Bible, right? Who here wants to see people that believe the Word, not just preach the Word? Lift your hand if you want to see someone you want to see someone that actually believes in God's word that applies it? Lift your hand. Keep your hand up. Do you want to see that? Are you willing to be the one that will be that example to others, though? You know, some of you are like, oh, my hand's getting heavy. <laughs> but don't you know, you can put your hand down. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. That's what God wants for you and me. May we be those that exemplify I still have to go through the same things you do. It's like, but this, but that. But it's always time and money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. What if he's going to ask you to give away your money like he asked me to do? I didn't know that I, later on I was going to come here, get married, have kids, and have to tell my family, I'm sorry, I used to be rolling in the dough. <laughs> but we're, we're trusting the Lord. We still live by faith. And I wouldn't change it for anything because I got to know my God. Do you know your God? Or are you just singing about him and reading about him? And waiting, like watching football, watching it from the sidelines? Or do you want to be someone that's on the play field, so to speak, that's actually putting God's word into practice? Because that's exactly what the world wants to see, amen? They don't want to see someone that's just preaching about God. They want to see someone that believes what they preach, which is pretty rare to find, amen? That's what I was looking for when I was a, new believer, even in my non-believer times. And I still want to see that today. 
And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants you to not just read it, but to heed it. Amen? To put it into practice. Me too. It's like, okay, Lord, empower us here. So as we look at these things, I just, you know, pray for me because as we ponder the call of God, I, I get greatly convicted. I've got to share with you guys a little bit about these things. The last thing I want to say before we move on is we see this picture up here. <clears throat> this is a picture of Dana Point Harbor. Oh, beautiful, blessed place in California. So I used to live pretty close to the water. And this was one of my go-to places. I found this online. I was looking for a place like, okay, I don't find a place where I used to sit. And Dana Point Harbor, uh, this is the marina area. Someone took a picture of this. I'm like, God, that's great. Good enough. It's an actual place, though. But there was a spot where I remember going out to when I wanted to be alone with God, where all I would hear is the seagulls and this bong is like this, I don't know what you call it. It's like this bell that would warn the boaters. It's more like a like a hum in the background. Here's seagulls. Uh, there's a place you could sit out there, though, where you could look out in the ocean. You see the jetty on like the right side. And I'd just be out there when God was calling me to move out to be with you. And the timeline of things for me is just so awesome, so so amazing. Because I didn't know any of you. I didn't even know my wife Susan, of course, at that time. I didn't know anybody out here, really. Just a handful of people. I can count on one hand. I didn't even need all five fingers. And God was calling me to come out for this church plant. And so I went to my go-to place, which was in Dana Point Harbor. And I sat with God for a long time. That's where I would go to hash out things with God. Are you sure? Are you sure you're sure? Are you really, really sure you're sure you're sure? <laughs> because I was being called to leave California, that's all I knew, and to come out here for what I believe would be a Calvary Chapel church plant. I now see it because it's been planted. But faith has to give you eyes to see what you can't see, amen? And I was struggling through that. And I went out to this place in Dana Point Harbor and cried with God. Good cry. Like, it was like, oh, please, God, please, give someone else. It was just reminiscing with the Lord and what he was wanting to do. You see, it wasn't just me he wanted to grow and me he wanted to train to know that he loved me. It was you. I now see, and I can look into your eyes, it was you that he was thinking of. It was you that the Good Shepherd was wanting to use someone that's replaceable like me to teach and to share with you that he's your Good Shepherd. That he wants to teach you and feed you like a shepherd, his word. That he was wanting to love you and encourage you in his grace and in his way. I didn't know you guys then. I'm glad I know you guys now, and I think, wow, what's wrong with my faith? <laughs> if he would have told me this is what it looks like, like, oh, yeah, easy, I'll go now. But I remember going to my crying place with the Lord. Maybe you have one. Now, I want to encourage you that when you're hashing out things with God, as we're talking about the call of God, it'll occur differently with each person. It's not going to be like how he called me. It could be similar. The principles are similar. But the way he's going to speak to you and lead you be vastly different than anybody else. That's how creative and unique our Savior is. 
But He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And He's calling you to something. So this is just a picture that I found about Dana Point Harbor. And I'm going to change gears here. And as we get back to our passage at hand, you're like, wow, that's a big intro. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> but as I, I, I was sharing with someone else earlier, and even my wife and kids. Like I still haven't told my wife and kids until like last night a lot of these things. Just put my hand to the plow, not look back. I'm kind of that way. I have shared and reminisced throughout the years with some of you guys on these things. But my guess is probably at least for half of you, you've never known about these things. So I, I don't want to be someone that just preaches and say, you've got to go hear from the voice of the Lord and discover your calling. Get out there. Pray on it. I need to share a little bit about my struggles and my journey with the Lord and how you need to develop your own quiet place with the Lord where you can go seek Him to hear from your Savior. Amen? And where you could hash out things with Him. As we break down this passage here, today we're going to look at the second phrase here, again in verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. This is about God's calling. For we are His workmanship. Notice this word for created. It says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And it says here, if you look at, I have it circled here. I just uh, did a, a copy of my Bible study software. I love this. It says to form, shape, i.e., to completely change or transform. And the context here of Ephesians 2, especially we started reading from verse 8, which says you're saved by grace through faith. You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship. So God does the work for salvation. He is the one that's crafting you. He's the worker. He's crafting you as his poem. Remember we looked at that word poema. You're his poetry. You're his poem. And as he saved you, now the context of creating Christ Jesus, he got you saved. This is not speaking of how you were physically born. This is how you were supernaturally born, spiritually born. Amen? Why is it that he chose to save you? I'll tell you why. Ephesians 2 verse 10. This is not me. This is God Almighty telling you through his word. He got you saved. He had you created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Christian, the thing that you need to ponder about the call of God, God's calling in your life, is this. Who was I created to minister to? What are those good works? And it'll look different than it does from me. I, I get the beauty and the blessing of actually being here teaching about my Savior and friend Jesus and, and teaching his word. This is my calling. He called me to this. So I shared as I opened up, and there's a lot more. Those are just a few of the milestones in my life in my timeline of how he got me to this place. So don't underestimate those months, those years of preparation. And as you look at the timeline of your life, what was it? And when was it how God brought you here today in 2024 into this fellowship that we call in Queens, New York City, Calvary Chapel at the Cross? My guess is it wasn't just one event. It was like me, a bunch of events. And if you're like my life, it was like here, there, other, <laughs> and the Holy Spirit all the while was still pointing the way, wasn't he? And maybe you were like me. I was a DJ. He was already telling me to go this way. 
I was like Jonah, running that way until he had to stop me. And I still didn't listen. There was still some time before I would give my life more and dedicate my life to him and to serve him and to fully serve him, not the way I wanted to, but how he wanted me to, and to embrace, to discover and, and do his calling, to embrace it like I do now. So you're created in Christ Jesus, he says, for good works. This word for created, again, it could mean to form, to shape, to completely change or transform. And maybe you're like me. In fact, I think you are. That that transformative work within your heart and mind, it ain't happening overnight, is it? Who here, you went from zero to 100 and fully walking with chasing after and serving the Lord? Nobody, because it doesn't happen. You're like me, right? Ping pong back and forth, faith, doubt, faith, doubt, run away. Okay, yes, Jesus, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, distracted by Satan for five years this way, (laughs) serving but doing my own thing going this way. And all the while, the Holy Spirit's still waiting, maybe for decades. Learn from my failures. For me, it was some many years. Usually that's how it is. I wasted a lot of years, a lot of money, a lot of time. I come back, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> Forgive me. Even feeling the pain of having dragged hundreds, if not thousands of kids and people away from Jesus. I have to live with that. And the reality is, I could pray for and want to help. I just don't even, I don't even know those people anymore. And some of them probably passed away. And I got to live with that pain, that failure. And yet he still wants to call me to move forward with him. So when you're physically created, your life's path needed one main thing. Looking at this graphic, what's the one main thing that every human being needs first? Get saved. Get saved through the Savior Jesus Messiah. Amen? If that's where you're at, give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. To him being the Savior for your sins. But oh no, it doesn't stop there. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And how many of us know he ain't going to stop with the Christian? He still wants to preach to your heart every day that he would be Lord, right? You guys can come in. So when you're physically created, your life needed one main thing. Get saved. That's it. It doesn't matter who you are in the world, what you've done, get saved first. And then upon salvation, born-again Christians are spiritually created to something totally new. And a good illustration of that might be the caterpillar that's turned into the butterfly. I like that. Who here loves the grimy, dusty, ugly caterpillar more than the butterfly? No. Who here likes the butterfly much better than the caterpillar. Everybody wants to see that. Beautiful. Some of them are iridescent. They shine and glisten in the light. We're now children of light, no longer darkness. It's a good illustration of that. I needed to learn to trust the Lord for his calling in my life. And I want to share a little bit with you from Psalm 37. Psalm 37, you can turn there if you wish, but in Psalm 37... He tells us, verse 3, it's on the display, trust in the Lord and do good. 
dwell in the land. He says, feed on his faithfulness. One of the things that I had to do in pondering whether or not God, whether or not I would trust in God and say yes to his calling for me to come out here. Simple things. Being a single guy in California, here was one of my questions. Some of you guys and gals may identify with this. Am I ever going to get married? (laughs) That's a real question, right? Have you ever asked that? Or maybe you are that place or have asked that before? Has anybody ever asked that or thought that? Okay. Some of you guys aren't telling the truth. (laughs) Every Christian tends to ask that. Or even, am I to get married? Well, that was my question. Am I ever going to get married? Now, I know that this passage here, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. I love how it doesn't just say, trust in the Lord. It's just to say, go home and read your Bible. It says, trust in the Lord and do what? Do good. Did you read that? I didn't write that. Trust in the Lord and do good. So the next time someone says, oh, I'm trusting in God, are you doing good? No, I'm just trusting in God. I want you to do good. I'm trusting that God will touch your heart to serve me. It doesn't work that way. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. When I moved here, this is something greatly convicting me. Stay. I don't want to stay. It's tough. New Yorkers are mean. (laughs) In California, I was used to walking up to people saying hi. Some of you guys know this, especially being a man out here in New York City. You walk up to someone and say hi. I don't have any money. Stay away. (laughs) that's kind of how it is right (laughs) Lord it's hard to meet people out here people are mean even Christians notice what it says here it says in verse 4 delight yourself also in the Lord Uh, here's what we focus on in verse 4 we tend to focus on the half the second half right and he shall give you desires of your heart how many false preachers have been preaching on that but they take the text out of the context. You've got to look ahead of it and after it. What does it say? Before it, it tells us, before he shall give you the desires of your heart, verse 3, are you trusting in the Lord? Are you doing good? Are you dwelling in the land? Are you feeding on his faithfulness? Look how faithful he's been to you. Feed on that. Let it train you. He's never let you down. He'll test you in a small thing to him, everything's the same. But for your walk, he's going to test you on a small thing. It might be your job. It might be your house. It might be whatever, friendships, relationships. For me, it was all the above. Drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, relationships, gambling, my uh, DJ record collection, tons of things, trusting in him. Oh, are you trusting? Get rid of it. Get rid of that friendship. Maybe it's destroying your life, your walk with Christ. Notice he says in verse 4, though, the first half, delight yourself also. Notice it says also, meaning like as an addendum. (laughs) As you're doing these things, trust in the Lord, doing good, dwelling in the land, feeding on his faithfulness, also do this. Delight yourself, says, also in the Lord. As you delight yourself in the Lord, not delight in yourself in football or sports or whoever, music or whatever it is. There's a lot of things to delight ourselves in, right? Satan and the world is going to have tens of thousands of things. You leave this door, 
you're going to be barraged with that. Some of the spam comes right to your, your inbox. Right? Now, you can spam on my phone now is text. Any of you guys get that? Isn't that crazy? Like, what? Guys, get rid of them. <laughs> so delight yourself also in the Lord. And notice that conjunction. All you got to do is understand simple English. And he shall give you the desires of your heart. We want to focus on God giving me the desires of my heart. I'm going to pray for that. Yes, put that on the prayer chain. But let God's word through the psalmist convince and rebuke and change you. Are you trusting in the Lord? No, no, no. I want you to trust the Lord. Give me your money. Because <laughs> that's the desire of my heart. That's fake. God will never answer that. Or else you become God and your Lord. And he doesn't work that way. So it says, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. See, if you're delighting in the Lord, if you're serving him by doing good, and you're truly trusting him, and you're dwelling in the land, you're, you're planted where he's got you now, and look what it says, feeding on his faithfulness. God has trained you to get to today. All the things of the past, in 2023 and before, in your timeline, even as you're hearing my timeline, that's me, but you have your own walk with Jesus. Has he ever let you down? Has he been faithful to you? Feed on that. Look how faithful he's always been. He's always like that. He'll train you so that you can delight yourself, it says, in the Lord. Find your delight in the Lord, in his word, worshiping him. He's training you and I to be like that. And then, verse 4b, we might say, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Notice that. And that's the order. That's the context. Notice what he continues on to say in verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. But Lord, I want it to pass now. <laughs> what does he say? And so look at this. This is just verses 3, 4, and 5. You can read the whole chapter later on. If you're truly trusting in the Lord, apply this, would you? It's not me telling you. This is God's word. I'm just sharing with you what he says in the scriptures. This might help somebody here. So for me, I had to learn to trust in the Lord. I had to learn to do good. These good works that I'm created in Christ Jesus for. I had to learn that. He had to train me. He still is. I still feel in many ways I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but he doesn't accept my excuse. But God, wait a second. I'm not prepared. I'm not equipped. I don't have everything. And it's not a matter of schooling because once I graduated from the college, I'm like, well, maybe I should get a this degree and that. And once that happens, but well, maybe I should get that one. And the devil's like, yeah, keep going, keep going. So you die as a bad example. And you're gonna, your life's going to preach to tens of thousands of people. That's exactly what Satan does with so many Christians. God doesn't want that though. So I had to learn to do good, to serve God with my life. Think about this. Because I'll talk to people, oh, I don't have time, I don't have money, I don't have this and that. If I had that same, how do I say, excuse, would I be here right now with you? No. So why is my life different from yours? It's not because of a title or a degree or because I'm you know, the pastor of the church. I'm a Christian, meaning I'm a Christ follower. And I have to choose today. My wife's at home sick. Sometimes people won't come in just because, oh, someone says, ah, okay, that's my... Free time. I'm calling sick at work. Calling sick at church or whatever. 
And sometimes that kind of stuff will settle in. I've got to rebuke that, those thoughts and even bring my kids here. So the reality is, God's not going to accept that excuse from me. If I sat here and I used these excuses that we all have, I don't have time, I don't have money, it's not worth it, I would not be here right now. And again, we were talking about the ministry of exemplification in our servants meeting this morning. What greatly convicts me now after being here for 22 years is that I still need to be an example. That you and I exemplify God. We exemplify as the church, as the body of Christ, we exemplify Him. Now think about that. When, when you go to pray to God, whether you're here all the time or you, you come in and out or whatever, you want to go to God knowing that He's always going to be there, right? How many of you know, no matter what happens in my life, I could backslide, I could go here or there, I could always go to God, He's not going to put me on hold, there's no voicemail, Excuse me, can you please hold? <laughs> and you listen to the voicemail. You will be number 5,999. <laughs> He's not going to put you on hold. So guess what? The church needs to be like that too. We need to stay open, amen? To exemplify the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a pillar and ground of what? The truth. So as people might come and go, you and I still need to be examples. That just like the Heavenly Father you know that you can come to him. No matter what, he's always going to be available, right? Do you know that that's what we need to be here? And when I die, if I die, you know, before, <laughs> for my wife and others here, God's just going to replace me with someone else. But may we always keep the doors open here. COVID, call it whatever you want. You know, the Fauci-ouchie, these kind of things can happen. They come and go. <laughs> Don't want to close down. I love how some of my Cary Chapel brethren uh, provided good examples. There's, if you've been listening to the news when it comes to church life since COVID shutdowns, we've heard of many Calvary Chapel, especially Calvary Chapel pastors. Why? Because we believe the Bible. Uh, there was a guy in California, pastors of Calvary Chapel Church, was sued at one time, I think it was up to $5 million, simply because they kept the church doors open. And the government was saying, shut down, shut down. Another Calvary Chapel pastor in California was also being threatened for sue. Uh, there's another guy up in Bangor, Maine, Calvary Chapel pastor, that the state of Maine is trying to get them to shut down. Hey, these, these guys provided good examples. They just stayed open. They're like, nope, the Bible says, I don't care who you are. Government, I don't want to submit to government. If it's going to tell me to disobey God and God's word, I don't want to do that. So that's where we need to be in 2024 and beyond. Amen? I'm not saying rebellion against the government. I am saying that I'm a child of God, that you and I are, that we're ambassadors of God, that we represent Him here on earth, and He's wanting us to follow Him, to trust in Him, no matter what. Amen? Okay, so pray for us as we continue on. So I'm, I'm just going to close in a little bit. I realize I'm like running out of my time here. It's kind of good that we didn't have our musical worship time today. So as we look at this passage here, Ephesians 2, again, turn, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 2, verse 10. You were created in Christ Jesus, as it says here, for good works. I'll wait for you to turn there. Ephesians 2, verse 10. 
And so knowing that you are created in Christ Jesus for good works, there's a couple of the passages I'm going to share with you. If you're taking notes, you can write them down or you can just listen. Here's what it says in a couple of them. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3. One of the last things that the Apostle Paul wrote, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. For reproof. You want to prove something? You want to reprove someone? You need what? All scripture. Don't just say, oh, I think. No, it's got to be what God thinks. For correction. You want to correct someone? Use all scripture. Amen? For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the person of God, the people of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. So you and I are created in Christ Jesus for good works. You and I must therefore know and read and preach the entire Bible. Amen? Why? So that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and they can. Okay, so we must get into God's Word. God's Word equips you for good works. Here's another one. If you're in 2 Timothy, turn to the right, go to Titus in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. It says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Paul put uh, Titus onto the island called Crete, and he wanted him to make disciples there. So he's telling him what to do in church life, if you want to call it. Exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Verse 7, it says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of what? Of good works. Again, the ministry of exemplification. I'm sorry, hard to say that. Exemplification. You need to show yourself as a pattern of good works. How many of you know, we know this as parents, that our children, other people, they don't follow instructions they tend to follow examples. How many of you know that? You could be as a parent. You tell your kids one thing, and yet you see them, they follow your example, right? So you tell them, follow Jesus. They watch your life. You ain't following Jesus. Well, you know they won't do. Follow Jesus. You tell them, read your Bible. You're not reading the Bible. Are you going to expect that they will? No. Why? People follow examples better than instructions. So, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. And notice in uh, Titus 2, look at verse, I'm just going to go right to the point, verse 14. Titus 2, verse 14, about Jesus Christ, it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for what? Good works. He wants you and I to be zealous for good works. So some of us, we're zealous for, oh, the stock market. This is ripe for me right now. But I got, I got free tickets to go to Las Vegas, the land of lost wages. I want to go now. Or, hey, the game's on. No, 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 no. I don't want to do Bible study. The game's on. I need to be zealous for what? For good works. So think about the things that you and I are zealous for. Are you zealous for serving God? If not, repent. Because according to what you just heard, 
and you're accountable for what you know. You're probably in sin and don't even know it. So the people, not just the people at Titus, oh, that's what Titus was told to preach to them. No, God is telling you and I, you and I need to stay zealous for good works. You're created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Do you know, Christian, you've heard me say this before, and repetition is worthy. What is that? The very reason, if you're already a born-again Christian, the very reason why you're alive right now is because God has a calling on your life. It's not because you've got children or you're married or you are like, i got to get this degree so I'm going to school. Or my job, that's where I find purpose. Or my sports or my this or that. Because guess what? After you die, you ain't taking that with you. How much money are you going to take with you when you die and go to heaven? If that's where you're going. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. In, in Espanol? Settle. <laughs> Zip. Zilch. Right? Nothing. But spiritually, you can store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And thieves and robbers won't break in. You can store up your treasures in heaven. Be zealous for good works. And look at the next chapter in the book of Titus. Chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, and to be ready for every good work. Christian, God has a calling on your life. So Ephesians 2, verse 10. I'll leave it back at this graphic here. Oh, where is that? I think it's there. Ephesians 2, verse 10. That's the picture you guys have. I want you to know this. To know this verse, but to, to know what we have here. This is God's calling for your life in Ephesians 2, verse 10. And our vision with you is that you would embrace God's calling. That if you're already saved, if not, get saved. Uh, confess your sins to God. Repent. Turn away from them. To know that Jesus Christ gave his life, paid the, the price for your sins. The only way you get to heaven is through his death on the cross for your sins. Amen? And mine. And then what? Once you're saved, then learn God's word. This is what we continue to do here and what the church needs to do. The church in New York City really needs God's word, amen? Really hard to find a church that actually teaches the entire Bible. And then at a point after your salvation, get baptized. And then start serving God. Serve God somewhere, somehow in the body of Christ. And if any of you want to serve God, if you're not right now, because you're called somewhere in the body of Christ if you're already saved. Be zealous for good works. Let us help you. Drop your pride. Be humble before God so that you could start to mature or else I got to tell it to you point blank. You're not going to mature. You're not going to spend 10 years just coming in and sitting in the seats. You're not going to grow. You're not going to mature. You're going to waste away your time. Okay? Uh, test it out. I want to encourage you not to do that, but you can test it out. These are the Bible principles. I did. I don't want to waste my time. That's why I'd rather spit it to you straight. You're going to waste your time. You're not going to mature. So you need, once you're born again, Christian, you need to start serving God so that you could get discipled. Build spiritual disciplines in your life. Stop being wishy-washy. There's a whole bunch of people in here that are serving God that have grown and matured throughout the years. It's not because of me. It's because they put Bible principles into practice. And as you start serving God, get to know your spiritual gifts. 
and God's call upon your life because you're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Amen? All right, I'm going to, we're out of time. I'm going to close at this point. Can we all stand, please? I'm going to close this with a word of prayer. Pretty much gone over our time by now. We're going to close, and we're going to partake in communion. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. We'll partake in communion. And if anybody wants to have prayer afterwards, I want to encourage you to stay afterwards. If you've got questions, I'd love to be able to talk with you, to pray for you, to pray with you. You're the reason why God moved me out here. It's so that I can make disciples, so that I can help you in your walk and your call with Jesus Christ. That's the reason why he brought you in here. Amen? Father in heaven, we thank you for showing us that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's our calling. God, you've got a call upon each and every one of our lives. You want us to get saved. And then as you create and fashion us in Christ Jesus, it's for good works. It's not for self. It's not for the things that are selfish on this planet that we all get conned into doing. So Lord, we confess our sins to you, that we are but sinners, and you save us by your grace through having faith in Jesus Christ as our Messiah, our Savior for our sins. We ask, Father, can you please convict our hearts to turn away from our sins, to turn away from our past. If it was like how I was, was not just a party goer, a, a party creator and a promoter. I thank you that you saved me from that, Lord, and now you want me to warn others. You don't want me to, to gather people listening to the worldly fake music out there, but to gather your children that we can encourage each other, pray for one another, that we can learn and feed each other your word. God, that's what we need. And I pray, Lord, for us here that you can please encourage our hearts to turn away from our sins, to turn away from our path, that we would embrace whatever calling you have for each and every one of our lives. Please reveal yourself to each of us in your own special, unique way. I know you can do that, Lord. You've done that with me in so many ways that I thought were weird. And yet it's you divinely, supernaturally reaching out to where I am living in the natural. And you could do that with any of us, God. I am nothing. We are nothing here. So help us to look to you, to embrace your calling, and help us to turn away from our sins and embrace your plan for our lives. And we ask for your help, Lord. Empower us through your spirit. Help us. Help us to hear from you. Help us to pray for one another even here. For we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.